Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. In almost 19 years in power, top of the political longevity table with Russia's Vladimir Putin, Syria's Bashar al-Assad, and Jordan's King Abdullah, Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan has made himself an important player on the regional and even global political scenes. Erdogan's Turkey is certainly not taken for granted. In the Mediterranean, in Syria, and Central Asia conflicts, in Europe's migration headache, and even in the evacuation from Kabul, Turkey's role was notable, even though not always received with critical acclaim. But where has Erdogan's trajectory taken Turkey? How is his Middle Eastern and Eastern Mediterranean policy intended to meet current challenges and exploit emerging opportunities? To analyze this topic, we're joined from Istanbul, Turkey, by Mr. Yusuf Ferim, who is TRT World's editor-at-large. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Also joining us from another location here in Jerusalem is Dr. Nir Boms, a research fellow at the Moshe Dayan Center at Tel Aviv University. Thank you for joining us as well. And with us here in the studio is our TV7 analyst and uh, host of TV7's Watchmen Talk, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader explanation as to Turkey's current standing from a regional perspective, but also from a global one. Jonathan, you mentioned the term trajectory. And uh, if one uh, had to describe uh, President Erdogan's uh, trajectory, it is not uh, like an artillery shell or a ballistic missile, but more like a cruise missile, because um, it uh, does not follow a predictable path. Uh, It can maneuver, and uh, one should always be uh, careful about it because uh, it may change, but right now, one uh, may cautiously uh, say that Erdogan is probably inching towards rapprochement with the United States, at least uh, to judge by appearances. Uh, We have seen uh, fairly high-level contacts um, at the State Department and with a delegation of uh, Turkish national security experts, sort of a strategic uh, dialogue. Uh, President Biden uh, has profusely thanked the Turks for their help uh, at Kabul, uh, which you um, uh, referred to. And it seems as if there is a bit of uh, cooling between the Russians and the Turks. So uh, this, uh, of course, brings to mind the uh, cliche about uh, permanent interests, not permanent alliances. So again, and we may have to eat our words, Um, But right now, it seems as if we are on a better glide path in the Turkish-American relationship. Let's bring Mr. Erim into the conversation. To what degree do you see Turkey currently maneuvering its way back into favor in Washington, D.C., considering the fact that it has been attempting to do so for quite some time now? But uh, it seems like Kabul was the, the point of shift, if you will, uh, when we're talking about the the possibility to cooperate on a technical level, on a military level, but also on a humanitarian level, uh, together with the Americans, something that was quite out uh, of the question for, for several months now. 
Well, first of all, I agree with Mr. Erdan's comments to some degree that uh, there ha needs to be flexibility in Turkish foreign policy. There needs to be room to maneuver in Turkish foreign policy because uh, when we look at the global conjecture right now, we're living in a very dynamic time. Uh, there's a lot of very fluid situations unfolding in many different parts of the world. And we're looking at the superpowers and their finite resources are all stretched to the limit. So right now we're entering the era of the regional power and the superpowers that have weight on these regional powers are the ones that are going to be successful going forward. So we're seeing Turkey metamorphosize. We're seeing Turkey transform. Uh, it's a very exciting time in Turkish uh, history and Turkish foreign policy. And I think also for the world as well, because we're seeing many other uh, regional powers emerge as well, whether it be Poland, pa Pakistan, India, uh, Mexico. And these countries are going to be very, very important going forward along with Turkey. Now, when we go get to the U.S.-Turkey relationship, uh, as, Turkey, as the United States is slowly retracting uh, from the uh, Middle East and North Africa, it's going to need more partners. Now, we saw this uh, about a year or two ago in Northeast Syria with a uh, partial withdrawal from Northeast Syria. And then we're now seeing it uh, magnified in uh, Afghanistan with a full withdrawal from Afghanistan. And I believe that these withdrawals or let's call it less engagement in areas that used to be very important to the United States as this continues to happen. This doesn't mean that the United States is going to disappear from these regions. It just means that the way it's going to manage these conflicts or manage its influence in these regions are going to change. And when we look at the most feasible way to do it, it's going to be through its partners. So uh, is this just Turkey trying to reproach with the United States? I think the United States is trying to reevaluate or at least uh, redefine its role with Turkey. The Cold War role for Turkey is over now, and we're seeing a post 9-11, a post-American uh, Middle East role slowly forming for Turkey. And this is having a trickle down into Turkish foreign policy as well. We're seeing Turkey trying to reproach with certain regional countries, but we're also seeing certain regional countries understand there's going to be less engagement in the region, also trying to reproach with Turkey. So uh, this normalization or reconciliation trend I believe at least in the coming next three years under Biden will continue. But when we look at Trump's policies in the region, we saw what Biden is doing right now begin with Trump. So I think the general understanding is that this is a bipartisan decision in the United States. And uh, being a bipartisan decision, it looks like it's slowly becoming U.S. state policy, not a government policy, but a state policy going forward that there's going to be a lot less United States in this region. And as such, uh, partners we're gonna, are going to have a much bigger role. They're going to have uh, much more responsibilities in this region. In Turkey right now, whether it be the operational capacity of its military, whether it be its diplomatic web, whether it be its partners or its economy, while the economy may be weak right now, I'm looking more at the bigger picture, not just a snapshot of right now, but a strong manufacturing sector, uh, very strong supply chain. Turkey's probably the country that's most ready to fill that role for the United States. Indeed. Dr. Bombs, I'd like to hear your take on this. But beyond that, Turkey has been uh, engaged in, in uh, gov-to-gov, mill-to-mill uh, discussions with Egypt, with the United Arab Emirates, with Saudi Arabia, and, and other countries in the region uh, as part of this uh, effort to establish some type of alternative to what has been in the past. 
How do you see this, uh, and what is the response to those Turkish uh, uh, engagements? Well, uh, we can remember that uh, Erdogan, President Erdogan, uh, began its last decade uh, with uh, the notion of uh, zero problems with our neighbors' policy, with an attempt to say Turkey is going to play an important role in the region, as it will be able to maintain peaceful relationships with its neighbors from the east and from the west. And we also remember that this did not really work so well. Uh, as uh, Erdogan was able to actually sour its relations uh, with the majority of European countries in Europe on the one hand, and then uh, with, uh, with Turkey, with the Americans, and, and with the Russians uh, at, at various points. And uh, part of what we're seeing here in parallel uh, to the changing uh, architecture of the Middle East at large and the changing American role that was uh, mentioned already in the Middle East, is that Turkey is trying to uh, come back to center stage. And we're actually seeing also as a diplomatic storm, uh, not just uh, the meeting just happened in New York at the General uh, Assembly, some of them surprising ones. We also have another meeting uh, between plan between uh, President Erdogan and President Putin uh, at uh, the end of uh, the month, uh, allegedly to also determine the fate of uh, Idlib. Uh, we've seen a new book uh, by uh, President Erdogan uh, talking about a fairer world, uh, adopting uh, the language of uh, justice, uh, reform in the United Nations. Uh, so all of a sudden, uh, uh, the image of uh, the angry president that uh, gets up uh, in, in front of uh, audiences at United Nations meetings um, or the Davos uh, Forum is now uh, uh, the diplomat, uh, academic, uh, that intellectual, that, that writes books. Uh, that speaks about uh, world justice, that is able to uh, fix and mend this relationship from with the United States on the one hand, with Russia on the other, uh, and with uh, allies in the, in the Middle East, including, by the way, uh, with Israel. And part of that, uh, perhaps, is uh, some lessons learned uh, and also some attempts to uh, use uh, the changing dynamic uh, in the region and the fact that uh, actually some of their relationships with Afghanistan and Qatar all of a, sec all of a sudden became uh, worth a little more uh, in the regional uh, stock exchange uh, because of the changing dynamics over there. And Turkey all of a sudden find themselves in a position uh, that uh, brings even Tony Blinken to say, to change its course by saying a few months ago that uh, Turkey is a so-called ally. Uh, and now that this is a very important NATO ally that the U.S. needs to uh, deal with and that relies on. And I think there is some uh, truth in this, also in the context of uh, United Arab Emirates and Egypt, with an understanding that uh, we need the Turkey needs to change course. Uh, the big question will be uh, whether this change of course uh, will actually uh, uh, bring also a little difference, different uh, uh, Turkish uh, policy regarding some other issues, uh, and whether um, uh, all of these uh, dynamics uh, will uh, create. Uh, a, a different uh, trajectory here in the Middle East uh, when it comes to the Muslim Brotherhood, and all of that uh, is yet to be seen. Indeed. Mr. Owen, I'd like also to bring the uh, great power competition and the, the causality thereof when we're talking about the Islamic Republic of Iran, of course, being uh, adopted uh, or an adopted child by China with regard to uh, regional interests. Uh, is this going to be translated also as a challenge for Turkey, or do you see this also being now uh, somehow accommodated to a certain degree? Looked at uh, from the perspective or the prism of the uh, greater powers, 
Iran is only secondary. What uh, we are seeing now uh, and uh, looking forward to uh, uh, 2030 and beyond is uh, a trilateral competition, American, Russian, Chinese. And uh, when the Americans look uh, at uh, our region, and that is the Eastern Mediterranean, uh, no less than the Levant, um, they see Turkey as an important player in at least two friction points uh, with the Russians, because near term, Russia is uh, the bigger worry for them. Of course, they say that uh, from uh, 2030 on, China uh, will be the biggest threat. But right now, they emphasize Russia and the global uh, posture document, which is obviously going to be looked at uh, once um, its uh, iterations are finished and we can see the finished document, uh, will uh, bring that uh, out. The two friction points right now are the Black Sea and Syria. And uh, because it's uh, Russia versus the Ukraine, the United States uh, has uh, put uh, its uh, mantle, its auspices over the Ukraine. This is the new uh, battleground with Russia. And Turkey, of course, um, is one of uh, the most important shepherds of uh, the Black Sea. Now, the, the new uh, commander of the U.S. Sixth Fleet also happens to be called Black. It's Admiral Gene Black, and he was in charge of um, an exercise recently in the Black Sea, which, of course, um, in which, of course, uh, Turkey participated, and it brought out the importance of cooperation between American, Turkish, and other naval forces. The other <coughs> issue is, of course, Syria. And again, Russia wants to have a monopoly over what is happening uh, in Syria, and um, the pretext is that uh, this is the only country the Bashar Assad regime invited to uh, operate uh, in uh, Syria. All the others are uninvited guests. All the others, meaning the Israelis, the Americans, and the Turks. And uh, on this issue, uh, obviously, uh, Jerusalem and Ankara and Amman, too, uh, are on the same page. So uh, we have to watch and see what happens on these two uh, uh, important uh, prospects. Mr. Arim, let's talk Syria. Turkey has been engaged there in, uh, of course, establishing a security corridor throughout uh, or adjacent to its border uh, throughout the stretch of its uh, um, security barrier with Syria for quite some time now. Uh, it has not managed to secure the entire area because of uh, the Russian involvement there, but uh, nonetheless, it has keen interest for that uh, strip of land. When we're talking about the Islamic Republic of Iran, something that, of course, we see an increase of Iranian militias, Shiite proxies uh, operating in Syria, uh, this poses a clear challenge uh, for Turkey's security on its southern front. How do you see this actually uh, evolve from a Turkish perspective is Turkey going to engage those uh, forces at some stage or reach some sort of an understanding with uh, the uh, Ayatollah regime in Tehran? Well, first of all, I think Afghanistan was very important for Syria. Turkey watched the U.S. withdrawal from that region. So uh, the general understanding is that there's going to be some type of timetable on U.S. presence in Syria as well. So 
I believe that Turkey is slowly starting to make its calculations uh, regarding uh, its Syria policies with a possible uh, U.S. withdrawal in the future. So we're probably going to see a little more increased diplomacy in the coming months, uh, maybe a year or so, with Russia regarding uh, Syria. Now, when it comes to Shiite militia, Turkey has, uh, I believe, a 534-kilometer uh, border with Iran. But it has about an 1,800-kilometer border with Shiite militia when we take into account their presence in Syria and, uh, uh, Syria and Iraq as well. So uh, the presence of Shiite militia, unfortunately, is uh, not viewed as a major national security threat in Turkey domestically when I feel that after the PKK, it should be national security threat number two. But that understanding is slowly changing inside of Turkey. Now, we've seen uh, Turkey show an interest in the Sinjar region of Iraq. Sinjar, very important because it logistically connects uh, the PKK and the YPG in Iraq and Syria. So, uh, but there's also a very big uh, Shiite militia presence in that region. Uh, PMUs, Hashtel Shabi, uh, other uh, other units of Hezbollah and whatnot, uh, all throughout these regions. And we saw Turkey already show a tough stance against Shiite militia and Hezbollah in Idlib when they tried to destabilize the region. And we saw drone strikes send many, many Hezbollah coffins back to Lebanon. So Turkey has shown the political will and the military will when feeling threatened by Shiite militia to strike. And I think that was a very strong message to Tehran. Now, going forward, obviously, uh, there's going to be some type of competition between Iraq, uh, between Iran and Russia for Bashar al-Assad's favor as Syria is trying to settle down. But Turkey's also going to continue supporting uh, Syrian opposition in the north. It's going to continue looking at increasing the buffer zone, especially in northeast Syria. So that's going to be very, very important when Turkey sits down at the table with the Russians what's going to happen in northeast Syria, and of course, what the Russians want in Idlib. Obviously, there are some jihadi groups over there. Uh, the status of uh, Hayatir al-Sham, HTS, uh, is it changing? Is it becoming palatable? No. Is it still an al-Qaeda affiliate? That remains to be seen. That's going to be something that's going to be discussed between Erdogan and Putin. But Turkey definitely wants to increase the buffer zone in northeast Syria, continue to push the YPG, uh, the PKK, the SDF, whatever name you want to call it, continue to push it back off its borders. Dr. Bombs, your take on this? Well, at this point, uh, Erdogan and Turkey has a few cards uh, that other people uh, would also like to, to have, uh, and they can use them. Uh, the fact that they are uh, now entrenched uh, in the northern part of Turkey uh, and that they are uh, an open part of Syria, and that they are coordinated uh, with the Russians and maintain very strong relationship and have uh, a in the future of Syria means, uh, on the one hand, that uh, uh, they uh, can also negotiate uh, on the Syrian side and on the Russian side and on the NATO side as well. So, uh, in uh, the context of uh, uh, Syria's future, Turkey has a role and. Uh, Erdogan protest can be in position to make some compromises if he would feel uh, that uh, he needs to suffice and balance uh, between his uh, Russian alliance, uh, Turkish interests and NATO interests. Uh, the same in Afghanistan. Uh, he was able to uh, create a, a movement which is uh, counter-current. While the, the entire uh, presence in Afghanistan, followed by the Americans, they withdrew. 
uh, Erdogan was able to make uh, the, de the decision that they are staying there, diplomatic relationship, a diplomatic presence, control over the airport, and all of a sudden holds in his hand cards uh, that many other uh, uh, allies needed. Uh, starting from uh, the uh, simple uh, challenge of uh, getting people out of the country and thereafter uh, uh, understanding that uh, somehow Taliban needs to be dealt with and there are not so many channels uh, aside from the Turkish ones and the uh, Qatari ones. And all of that uh, strengthens the uh, position. I think Erdogan could be in, in position to uh, uh, maneuver uh, with the Turkey uh, presence in uh, Syria. Uh, not in a major way, but if he'll need to uh, show a, a concession, uh, perhaps he could. He was able to entrench uh, strong enough uh, inside, uh, so uh, he can probably afford to have a, a degree of concession if, it, if, it, if he'll feel that this is going to be useful uh, for relationships uh, with the NATO side. And when he's coming stronger uh, to that table, He's hopefully uh, planning to come uh, stronger on the other table as well, because he can have he has at least a few cards uh, that he did not have before. So that uh, overall uh, brings him in a stronger uh, uh, position uh, uh, to this uh, new round of talks, uh, and in a way corresponds with his vision of uh, coming uh, back to a, a position of real uh, leadership uh, in the region. Something that, uh, again, separately from the Turkish uh, uh, presence and image, uh, can also strengthen uh, the pro-Turkish voices. Again, as I've mentioned before, uh, including the, the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, something that uh, some of his new allies uh, are not necessarily very happy about. Indeed. Well, Mr. Ogan, I'd like to bring Israel into the picture. How do you see the Turkey-Israel relationship at this stage, of course, on the economic level, uh, it continues unhindered. But uh, when we're talking politically, it seems that it's not necessarily uh, going downward in the trajectory, but also not upward. The time seems opportune for a fresh look at uh, Turkish-Israeli relations. Now, one should not uh, blame Mr. Netanyahu for uh, the big chill in uh, the relationship. It started uh, when Erdogan came to power, uh, when uh, Sharon was prime minister, and then Olmert. But it so happened that uh, during Netanyahu's 12 years, there were uh, four major campaigns against Hamas. Hamas obviously uh, being in cahoots uh, with uh, Turkey. There was the uh, Mavi Marmara incident. And uh, apparently, the Israeli-Greek alliance or other events in the Eastern Mediterranean were not to uh, Turkey's liking. Uh, be it as it may, now there is a new management in Jerusalem. There is also a new management at Mossad. And of course, Mossad kept its relationship with its Turkish counterpart throughout the years, but it was subject to political uh, guidance. And uh, perhaps uh, Prime Minister Bennett and uh, President Erdogan can find some middle way in which uh, to uh, settle the differences or at least warm up relations. Indeed. Well, we're drawing near to the end of the program, so I'd like to keep it brief. But uh, nonetheless, to hear also uh, uh, Mr. Arim's uh, position or perspective of this. Well, I think that. There is a huge changing dynamic right now. I think 
Israel is looking at less U.S. engagement. Uh, Israel is uh, looking at a possible return to the JCPOA. So it wants to strengthen its position with countries that can uh, it can benefit from uh, using as a possible uh, ally against Iran or against Iranian expansion. And as I mentioned before, in Turkey's Syria policy and Iran policy, it's uh, definitely unhappy with the proliferation of Shiite militia. And just to expand it a little more, uh, when we look at the UAE and Saudi Arabia, again, both of them engaging Turkey as well. Uh, Saudi Arabia and UAE very concerned by the uh, attack on Aramco by Shiite militia. Uh, exploratory talks being launched with Egypt. So there's a lot of moving pieces right now in the region, a lot of fluidity. So everyone needs to be flexible. Uh, I think that uh, President Herzog is a huge opportunity for the uh, Turkey-Israel relationship. Uh, he seems to be somebody that Erdogan can communicate with, uh, his uh, pro-two-state stance, uh, his uh, diplomatic, uh, uh, diplomatic uh, stance uh, that he has. And uh, the title of being president, being Erdogan's counterpart, he seems like a per perfect conduit for Erdogan to be able to communicate with and bypass uh, Naftali Bennett, someone who would probably be a little less palatable for Erdogan. But uh, that doesn't change the fact that I do foresee in the coming future, most likely, some type of communications between the Turkish president and the Israeli prime minister. So uh, the relationship is moving forward. This is something that the United States wants to see. The United States wants to see its allies in the region slowly bury the hatchet and begin working together because uh, the best way for the U U.S. to be able to manage this region with less engagement is if its allies cooperate together. So uh, the warm winds that are blowing right now in Ankara, in Tel Aviv, in Riyadh, in Abu Dhabi, in Cairo, I think they're going to continue. Uh, are we going to see very strong uh, solid normalizations between all these countries? Probably not. Some of them may be superficial, but I do think that there will be uh, some strong trickle-down normalizations between some of these countries. And I think Turkey and Israel uh, have a lot of uh, converging national interests that both of these countries can work together. Again, the Palestine issue will always be a flashpoint for the uh, Turkey-Israel relationship. But if it's possible to contain this issue, if it's possible to uh, take more dip diplomatic initiatives, less military initiatives, I don't see any reason why uh, Turkey and uh, Israel can't have a full normalization in 2022. Indeed. Well, this is uh, unfortunately all the time that we have for today, and we will have to expand on this uh, topic as Turkey's role, of course, in this region is quite important, and Israel is looking northward uh, with uh, a lot of attention. So uh, with that, I'd like to thank Dr. Neil Bohms, Mr. Yusuf Arim for partaking in today's panel, as well as our TV7 analyst, Mr. Amir Oren, thank you so very much. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.